All right, would you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? It's the last time I'll say that this spring. We've been in, camped in Acts 2 for a few weeks. Uh, but grab one of those blue Bibles if you don't have your own. And uh, Acts 2 can be found on page 771, 772 actually, the section we're reading today. Just a few weeks ago, we started this new sermon series on the book of Acts. It's a sequel to Luke's gospel, which describes what Jesus began to do and to teach. And in Acts chapter 1, since Jesus has ascended back to heaven at the Father's right hand, the question is, how is he continuing to do and to teach? And we've said the book of Acts is the answer. Jesus is still working through his people, Christians. Believers, followers, all granted power by the Holy Spirit. We're spending a third week on chapter 2 because it sets the stage for the entire book of Acts. And this is what we've seen so far. First, during the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in power, represented by wind and fire, upon the approximately 120 disciples who were gathered in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Each of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim the word of God boldly. And the crowds who had gathered in Jerusalem for the feast wondered what was going on. Peter, a fisherman, stood up to preach his first ever sermon. And his message was pretty simple. The last days are here. The spirit poured out on these followers of Christ is the sign and Jesus' resurrection, uh, Jesus re- uh, rising from the dead, is the evidence that his claim to be Savior and Messiah and the true King is legitimate. And so the only proper response is to repent, to turn away from sin, and to turn towards Christ and embrace the salvation that he offers, that he has accomplished. Well, it wasn't a bad first sermon. 3,000 people are converted. On the day of Pentecost. And this morning's passage tells us what happens next. Listen carefully. These are God's words. I'll actually start up in verse 40. This is the end of the passage describing Peter's sermon. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we look back to Acts chapter 2 in history, we pray that we would have a fresh Pentecost. We pray that there would be a fresh blowing of your spirit as uh, a wind through this place. We pray that there would be a a rekindling of spirit fire here at Grace Redeemer Church, that we might see repentance and faith as 
fruit to be harvested. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That last verse that I read tells us that 3,000 converts were just the beginning. Um, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is church growth at its best. By chapter 4, we find that the total number of Christ followers is already up to 5,000. This is not Metro New York. This is first century Jerusalem with a far limited population. By by chapter 6, verse 7, we read this. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And then when we get to chapter 8, there's persecution against the Christians. And and you think, oh, no, what's going to happen to this baby church? Well, all part of God's plan, it causes the, the believers in Christ to scatter first to Judea and Samaria and then to the, the rest of the known world in the Roman Empire, beginning to fulfill Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the disciples would be his witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. God used persecution for missions purposes. This is church growth at its finest. So how do they do it? Because don't we want Acts chapter 2 to happen in the church, not just that Grace Redeemer church, but uh, in the church throughout the world? You know, there are far too many conferences on the subject and far too many books written on the subject, church growth. They're, they're consultants who make their livelihood on this stuff. And, and it's not all bad, but too many of these books and conferences only emphasize technique and corporate practices and strategies for entertaining kids and dumbing down the gospel and feeding a consumer mentality. And too many of them neglect the spiritual dynamics. So we don't want to ignore the reality of uh, how a healthy biblical church should grow in breadth and depth. And Acts chapter 2 gives us at least one model to look at very closely. The, the passage I read shows us the vital signs of life within the family of God. And we'll group these signs using the structure from uh, our Grace Redeemer Church mission statement that has up, in, and out. Here's our mission statement, and we need to do a better job of, of making sure that you're aware of what our church mission statement is. Okay? GRC aims to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to mature them into the li- glorious likeness of the Savior, and to send them to engage the least and the lost in our culture with the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the following key relational orientations. Every good mission statement needs to be a run-on sentence, don't you think? Um, Up, in, and out. And the next slide gives us a little bit more detail. Up is the worship orientation, okay? Not just on Sunday mornings, but when we look heavenward. In has uh, two elements, primarily community and discipleship, building people up in Christ. And then out is that missional component, looking outside of ourselves, right? Serving, going on mission, not just on missions, trips, But outreach and evangelism, up in out, we're going to use that structure to help us see some of the vital signs here in Acts chapter 2 of of life in the family of God. First up, a church filled with awe. What happens when 3,000 people are converted? They don't just go home like people who waited in line on launch day to get the new iPhone and say, woohoo, I got what I came for. I got salvation. I got the Holy Spirit. Back to normal life. It doesn't happen. 
because something fundamental has changed about all 3,000 and counting. They've become a part of a new community. They're now members in a new family. And, and that's actually a pretty good definition of the church of Jesus Christ. Not a building, not a location, not a, a collection of core values revealed in a mission statement. But a new people, a community united by faith in Jesus Christ, made new. There's a new identity. Nothing is the same. And that vertical up dimension affects every part of life. Well, first in verse 42, we see this up orientation in um, a few worship activities, we could call them. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What are the apostles teaching? The word of God. What is the word of God about? Jesus Christ. We keep saying this, and I have said, if there's one thing that I'd love for you to be able to say in your sleep, it's, it's along these lines. Um, this is what the Holy Spirit does. It points us to the word of God, and the heart of the word of God is Jesus Christ, King, Savior, Friend. That's what spirit power leads to. That's what a spirit-filled church looks like. You know, the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit shows up nine times in the book of Acts. And every single time, it is directly connected to filled persons testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what spirit-filling does. It, it causes you to talk about Jesus. It causes you to look to God's word. It, it reveals the richness of this up-orientation of worship. Secondly, um, we see the, these um, early converts engaging in the breaking of bread. That's in, dis, that's in contrast to breaking bread in homes, which we'll, we'll see later in verse 46, which is sharing meals. But the breaking of bread refers to uh, sacramental elements in worship, the Lord's Supper. And then thirdly, we see prayer. A continued humility and a continued cultivating of dependence on God. I don't have what it takes, God. You do. I'm going to come to you in prayer and ask for it. And then in verse 43, we, we read this. Everyone was filled with awe. The, the Greek word that's translated here is phobos, from which we get our word phobia. Fear, awe. A-W-E naturally has an element of fear. Uh, think of the biblical phrase, the fear of the Lord. It does not refer to a terrified, hiding under the bed kind of fear. You know, fear of monsters, fear of some, some intruder. That's not what it is. It's, it's a reverent fear. You revere someone or something that is far greater than you. Some, something that you cannot explain. You, you look up to it. You know, uh, up until two years ago, for about 20 years, Major League Baseball hitters were in awe of Mariana Rivera's cut fastball. And yes, they feared it. Because uh, there was no explanation for a ball thrown by a guy in the strike zone at the same speed um, over and over that was virtually unhittable. They were in awe. And awe always has this sense of reverence. I can't explain it. There's something greater than I. And this is what characterized the early church in its up orientation. Everyone was filled with awe. What are these believers in awe of here in Acts chapter 2? It's 
the first half of the verse that ends with, and um, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And you think, well, of course, they were in awe. You know, supernatural stuff was going on. Miracles were happening. But I think there's more to it than that because miracles and signs were never ends in and of themselves. They were always pointers to Jesus. In the first century, the apostolic wonders and signs were um, the means of authenticating the word of God. This is truth from God and this is not. Okay, there was authority that, that was necessary before the scriptures were uh, completely provided to God's people. I think there was more to signs and wonders uh, that led the people to be in awe. And my sense is, and there's a lot of clues here in Acts chapter 2, that it was more along the lines of what we call grace stories here at Grace Redeemer Church. Testimonies. Real life stories of lives, just like yours and mine, being changed, impacted deeply by the power of gospel grace. That should lead us to awe. When God works in lives to bring about um, responses in our hearts, in our, in our lives, that don't make sense given the circumstances. A prideful man repenting after years and years of anger, a young person persisting in belief in the goodness of God despite uh, un, um, incredibly challenging adversity. Those don't make sense. We should be in awe that God would do this kind of work in his people. And, and here in Acts 2, uh, what doesn't make sense and is therefore awesome, so great they couldn't explain it, is that different people from every part of the known Roman world gathered together, suddenly experiencing a radical unity through faith in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The church is filled with awe. We could say it was an awful church. You know, it's, it's kind of a funny word because it doesn't really mean what it's supposed to mean. Filled with awe. But that was the biblical apostolic church looking upward, marveling at what God was doing all around them. Luke, the author, makes one more comment about the early church facing upward. In verses 46 through 47, he describes the everyday pattern of the people which, which involved meeting together and praising God. This was what they were doing, meeting and praising. And um, that element of praising absolutely should be a distinctive uh, mark of the family of God overflowing with praise, sharing that vertical dimension uh, outwardly with one another. Um, Folks, if you hear that and you think, I have nothing to share, I have nothing to overflow with, I wonder if your heart has truly been impacted by gospel grace. Do you really understand, fully trust in, the, the miracle that God the Son has come and given his life for you that you might not have to die for your own sins? And then uh, are, are you filled with the Spirit? Because this upward orientation, being filled with what God has to provide to us, the riches of the gospel, is, is the most natural thing in the world for followers of Jesus Christ. And if you receive vertically, you have plenty to share horizontally with people. Well, 
Uh, this dynamic is why I was so excited to see the Lenten devotionals roll out. Because, uh, not because of scholarly teaching that you're going to get day after day. By the way, not on Sundays. I, I, I was reminded this morning when I went looking in my email that uh, no devotionals on Sundays. Uh, 40 days of Lent are 40, uh, not counting the Sundays. Uh, but I'm excited not because of um, the scholarly teaching. And some may be scholarly, but that's not necessarily why. I'm excited not because there's going to be some unique twist on the Lenten season, uh, thinking of Easter in ways you've never thought of before. I'm excited because these are written not by paid professionals who are supposed to do this work, who, who have been to seminary, graduate school, uh, Bible school, but they're written by members of the body of Christ, regular, normal men and women who have not necessarily any special qualifications, but who have, who have meditated on God's word, received something through the spirit of God, and they're merely sharing it with the rest of us. That's awesome. That's what we're talking about here as, as a vital sign in the life of the family of God here in Acts chapter 2. That's what the church should be doing on a daily basis, receiving from God up, and sharing it with one another. That leads us secondly to the inward orientation. Sharing and belonging. Uh, if you're new to Grace Redeemer since the fall, starting in mid-September, we had a six-week vision campaign. And uh, it was one of the most uh, focused, defining stretches in the life of our 15-year-old church. Six weeks in a vision campaign called Growing in Grace. I'd encourage you to uh, listen to those messages because... Uh, perhaps better than any other set of messages, they give you um, a, a solid uh, view of who we are and who we want to become. Uh, they're available on, on the website, graceredeemer.com. But in week number one, I preached from 1 John chapter 1, his first letter. And I said this, biblical community is rooted in the shared life that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed from all eternity. Biblical community is rooted in the shared life that the Trinity has been enjoying. Um, the horizontal biblical community is fueled by the vertical. Okay, uh, To put it in the language of our mission statement, um, the in, sharing and belonging, is fueled by the up. Worship. If the heart of the church's family life is awe-inspiring worship, devoted to the apostles' teaching, uh, the sacraments, and prayer, then uh, two of the natural byproducts that we see here in our passage are sharing and belonging. Th these are the ways that the vertical works itself out horizontally in community. Unity in Christ should lead to a radical generosity of sharing um, and deep community. The, the people shared their stuff. They shared their lives, especially mealtimes. We'll look at that in, in a minute. But um, if we look ahead to verse uh, chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, again, um, wrapping up a, a, a section, there's a, another snapshot of the early church. And the striking similarities, just like we find here in chapter 2, the filling of the Spirit leads to the bold speaking of God's Word. That's what it does. 
That's what he does when he fills God's people, leads us to speak the word of God boldly, point to Jesus. And so unity of heart and mind are emphasized again in Acts chapter 4. And it leads to such radical sharing that the report we get of the early church is that there were no needy persons in the church. Isn't that a striking progression? A report card on the church. Imagine a friend asking you, um, tell me about your church. Is it, is it a healthy church? And your answer along the lines of Acts 2 and Acts 4 would be, would be along these lines. Grace Redeemer Church is a, is, a, is a church filled with the Spirit of God, which leads us to proclaim the gospel without any apologies from the pulpit and, and individually in relationship. And the evidence is that the Mercy Fund never runs out, even though there are constant demands from people who are in need. Everyone's bills are paid. That's how GRC is. It, wouldn't that be kind of a, an odd way to answer uh, a, a general question? How healthy is Grace Redeemer Church? Acts 2 and Acts 4 would answer it exactly that way. There were no needy persons among us. There's this economic evidence of shared life in Christ appropriately working itself out in the biblical community, in the family of God. We've, we've been adopted into this family, and now we family members take care of each other. Isn't that the natural way that a family should act? These believers shared their goods because if the true king had arrived, Jesus, and if he, through his church, was in the process of claiming all of creation as his kingdom, and if his return one day would signal the end of all history, the climax of all of his salvation purposes, then what sense would it make to hoard stuff to spend on self here and now? Why invest in the short term and bring nothing with you when you could have guaranteed and rich returns for eternity? That's the logic. So they shared everything. They met every need. And that requires incredible simplicity, doesn't it? What do I need, not what do I want? I'm afraid in Bergen County in 2015, we have a really hard time telling the difference between what we need and what we want. They bleed together all too much. The end of Acts chapter 2 shows us that a sign, one sign, of being filled with the Spirit's power is simple living which enables radical generosity because it indicates pretty accurately whether you're all about the risen king or about your own little kingdom. The second element, in element, in this second orientation is belonging, sharing and belonging, two uh, natural byproducts of this uh, shared unity in Christ. Verse 44 describes the early church simply being together, sharing life. Uh, it, it takes this to another level beyond merely sharing stuff, right? It's one thing to share things with each other. It's another thing to share our, our, our lives with each other. Do you know what the richest promise 
and all of the Bible is, I'm absolutely convinced that it's the simple statement from God repeated throughout the Bible. I will be with you. It's a subjective uh, assessment. It's my opinion. I'm pretty confident in it. I think that's the richest promise in all of the Bible. God saying to his people, sinners, I will be with you. And you can add to it. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He said it to Joseph when he was in prison. And interestingly, not coincidentally, the Bible ends. John's vision of the end of history includes this simple statement. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Our greatest inheritance on the last day is not stuff that God's going to give us. He's not going to give us estates and gold and jewels. He's going to give us himself. He already has, but there's a, there's a fullness of standing in the very presence of glory and majesty with nothing in between. No more sin inhibiting that relationship for which we were designed on the first day um, uh, of, of humanity's being. With us, God, Emmanuel, is Jesus. You know, one of the most thoughtful thank you notes Cedar and I have ever received was in response to a dinner invitation. And it wasn't extravagant. There was no special occasion. The chicken didn't even turn out as well as we had hoped. Um, But what struck this friend was simply the richness of being with. The most thoughtful card we've ever received, I think. I'm not sure what Cedar would say. A shared evening. uh, Lives opened to one another. Loving and being loved. Uh, Sitting around enjoying laughter. Stories about each other. You know, hospitality is motivated by the gospel. Real biblical rich hospitality is motivated by the gospel. God has given us himself through his son. So how natural should it be for us to, to give to and share with each other? A couple of weeks ago, the women's ministry held an event at someone's house, and it was a casual thing. Again, no special occasion, uh, you know, uh, no breaking out of fine bottles of champagne and the richest food. It was a casual affair. Come as you are, bring an appetizer, enjoy some friendship. And on a day with decent winter weather, no ice and snow, eight women showed up in a church where I would guesstimate we have... 250 women. I don't share that at all to give you a guilt trip if you thought about it and didn't come or didn't even think twice about it. I I share that only to say, I think that's a sign that there's so much more gospel richness that we're not grabbing hold of. Because, um, you know, look, a lot of you had good reasons for not going to that. With a church of 250, we don't have any illusions of you know, having to meet here and and filling the sanctuary for an event like that. But would you rather sit at home watching TV or on the couch alone with a digital device, being a voyeur on other people's lives by scrolling through social media for hours? Jesus became flesh. That is 
one of the things we should be in awe of as a church in our vertical dimension. The best that God has to offer us involved sharing real involves continually, partly because uh, salvation came through the flesh in Jesus' life. The best that God has to offer us involves sharing real life face to face over a meal, um, enjoying each other, appreciating differences in a pretty diverse church, being encouraged at the end by the radical unity that we share as family members of God. The author of Hebrews um, is addressing some weighty matters in chapter 10 talking about drawing near to God as sinners through the blood of Jesus. And yet he sees fit to add this a couple of verses later. In verse 25, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The author goes from the heart of the gospel, atonement, substitute sacrifice, Sinners being cleansed. And by the way, don't forget that potluck. Is it a disconnect? Not at all. Because when we are rooted in this vertical, the the most natural thing is to share it horizontally. It's not just a meal. It's not just a fellowship event that means nothing in the life of the church. It's an opportunity for lives to be joined together. I I think this thank you note that I'm alluding to had it right. That's the rich stuff of Christianity. It's family getting together. It's it's, um, face-to-face enjoying the good things that God has provided in food and drink. It's laughter. It's stories. It's going home. Um, satisfied that biblical community has been tasted. And one day, the richest biblical community will be God looking me in the face and me looking Him in the face with nothing in between. Um, I would encourage you to listen uh, again or for the first time to a sermon I preached on July 1st, 2012. I looked it up. Breaking Bread in Homes. Um, it's about hospitality. It's about sharing lives. And maybe invite somebody over for some food while you listen to it together and process it and say, how should we take this truth from God's Word and start acting it out more dramatically? Um, a little tidbit before we get to the last point. I, I called today's sermon Family Life because the church isn't just a collection of like-minded people who have gotten a product, and now we go home and we're all, you know, uh, iPhone users. I want to encourage you to carve this out of your vocabulary, okay? Just take this good-naturedly. It's not a big deal. I want to encourage you to carve this out of your vocabulary. I go to Grace Redeemer Church. It's true. You're here. You came. But it's not rich enough. It doesn't capture the spiritual vitality of the church well enough, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and especially if you're a member of the church, you are a part of the body of Christ here. Let me suggest this. I belong to the GRC family. That gets at Acts chapter 2, life in the family of God. Thirdly, 
if we have an up orientation worship, if we have an inward orientation of sharing and belonging community, we should also have an outward orientation. Mission by attraction. This coming weekend, Ken mentioned, is our missions conference. It's going to be, it's only every other year. Um, One weekend every other year. It's going to be great, I, I, I promise you. When we talk about missions, though, we tend to think of sending people out, right? Sending missionaries out. Ben and Julie Jensen are new missionaries that we're sending out. They're heading to, China, uh, to Japan um, to be part of a church planting team. We, we think of sending ourselves out on short-term missions trips, Chicago trip, uh, not just for youth but adults only. See Josh if you're interested. It's this centrifugal force, if I have my science correct. It's this pushing out from the center And it's what we've called over the years a go-and-tell strategy, sending. But there's also a centripetal force to missions. This was Israel's calling in the Old Testament, to be a a holy nation set apart from all the others so that the, the, the other nations could see who the one true God really was through the lives of these Israelites. This is what happens in Acts chapter 2. It isn't an intentional come and see strategy. That's the attractional, uh, uh, centripetal force. But these early Christians just develop such real and rich community that it's so attractive. Verse 47 says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. They upended society in Jerusalem in the first century, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. It's awesome (laughs) uh, what is going on here. And the Lord added to their number daily, right after that, those who are being saved. Have you ever come across um, a crowd in the city? You're walking around, you know, heading somewhere, and something's going on. So you cross the street to find out what the buzz is. You wonder what they're all enjoying. And it turns out it's an incredibly talented street performer. And so you, you gather, you, sh- you join the gathering, and you watch. And now you're a part of the shared celebration of talent. There's shared appreciation. There's praise of the performance. There's applause. Perhaps there's a dollar thrown into the case on the floor, on the ground. It's attractive, this performance, because it's attracting outsiders who want in, who want to see what's going on, who want to share in the experience. Shouldn't the church of Jesus Christ the redeemed people of the resurrected king. Shouldn't we be so attractive that we attract people from the outside in as we praise and celebrate and overflow with radical generosity and thanksgiving and fun and, and, um, and celebration so that passersby stop. They wonder, what's going on? They curiously peek in. They want to get a taste, a glimpse, and they find people strangely excited and motivated and united in purpose and heart, even though they all look very different and they're a motley crew and what in the world would they have in common? The answer being the radical unity through faith in Jesus Christ. A church leader named Tertullian wrote around the year 200, sort of this reflection on the growth of Christianity, okay? We are but of yesterday. What he means is the church is not that old. It was just born. And we have filled every place among you. 
cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. In other words, Christians are everywhere, except in pagan temples. We don't want to go there. Christians are everywhere. How could a bunch of uneducated common people, including a bunch of fishermen, have expanded a religion based on a dead Galilean carpenter to the ends of the known world in every um, facet of society in a short, approximately 150 years until Tertullian writes these words? The answer in Acts chapter 2 is Holy Spirit power, making the people of God, the family of God, beautiful, free, joy-filled, radically generous, lacking fear and death because of resurrection. GRC, let's pray that the same Spirit in and among us makes us more of an Acts chapter 2 church. Let's pray that. Lord, how easily we get complacent, how easily we confuse our needs and our wants how easily our hearts are turned away to the things of this world that are passing away, that are dying, that are decaying, rusting, that could be lost in an instant. Lord, show us that eternity is our true treasure. Humble us. Cause us to be dependent on You. We don't have what it takes. You do. And fill us with Your Spirit in response that we might proclaim your word, that we might exalt Jesus, that we might be changed from the inside and overflow with such attractiveness that everyone wants in on the church of Jesus Christ. Not because of us, but because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.